What's up, everybody? Andrew Cooper here, Alarm Fantasy Football. As you can see, Howard Bender still off doing baseball stuff. John and Pemba doing basketball stuff. They're in Vegas right now, in fact. So I'm taking over the show. I'm handling things. We're going to continue with our dynasty talk. And today I have one of my very favorites, Jake Sanderson, one of the great thinkers in fantasy football. Honestly, my concern for a guy like this is that you're going to get you're going to get plucked away by a different industry. That that's my concern with guys like you, where we we're trying to keep you in fantasy football, but man, you're you're too sharp at times. So that's my worry, man. But hey, how's it going, dude? How's your off season? I uh, appreciate the intro and apologies to the listeners and viewers that uh, I'm going to sound a little bit like crap because I'm back home in Winnipeg, uh, and Andrew was kind enough to go and schedule this weeks ago, and I totally forgot that I was doing a podcast this week. So uh, I don't have my proper mic set up here, but I'm doing the best I can. Um, also the, yeah, the off season has been great. Um, I desperately needed a bit of a recharge. I mean, for people that don't know, I work full time in addition to the fantasy stuff. So by the end of the season, every year I tend to be pretty ground down. Um, so I've been enjoying the couple months today is like the first day I've gotten into watching rookie film. Um, so I've, I've been enjoying my holiday week here in Winnipeg, getting back into the fantasy landscape a little bit, grinding some of the stats, grinding some of the film back with my face on a podcast for the first time in a while. And um, yeah, for, for anyone who's listening to this, that uh, listens to my normal podcast work or some thinking about thinking stuff coming in the next couple of weeks, I, I promise you where we'll be resuming full bore within the next couple of weeks. Yeah. We saw that. I saw on Twitter that you're digging into the prospects a little bit. I'm starting to get into that too. You know, I like having mm-hmm. the combine data, but I start doing my previews now. Uh, but now is the time really to take advantage of, you know, free agency, the news, and to really look at, uh, you know, I like to curate my current rosters. So that's what we're going to do right now. Sure, we're going to have plenty of time to get into that other stuff. So what we're going to do today, we'll hit on some quick news. Uh, then what I like to do on the show is in the second segment, we just ask about your process, right? We've had guys like Jack Falcone on last week to break down where he gets advantages. So I love to hear, okay, like what's something that's worked for you? A little trick, things like that. Uh, after that, I'm going to give you some guys that are kind of close in Dynasty. We'll sort it out. And if there's time at the end, we'll pull up a mock draft, take a look at that kind of stuff. Uh, we'll see where we go, man. I know you got a lot of things to say, so might not get to the mock, you know, but we'll see. Uh, in recent news, I gotta ask Anderson: Can we skip the? Unless you have a a uh, Super Bowl take that you've been letting marinate for a couple of days, something that you really want to get out there, uh, then I'd love to hear it. Otherwise, can we just skip the Super Bowl and just move on to? What's I'm, yeah, I'm fine to skip the Super Bowl. I mean, look, I could do an entire hour long podcast on the intricacies of the overtime kicking and receiving strategy, but I think it's been done, and uh, so uh, yeah, I'm I'm good with it. Fun Super Bowl. Great second half, electric. You know, the pizza was great. The wings was great. Uh, I made a goat cheese dip. That was pretty phenomenal. Otherwise, I'm I'm good on the Super Bowl takes. You yeah, are. I'm I'm with you, man. I will say, you know, I, I love that it, the most viewed program of all time. So for me and you, wow. and yeah, that's what they're saying. 123 million. They're saying. So say what you will about the Taylor Swift and all that. If it's bringing popularity to the sport, if we get the Swifties playing fantasy football, that's good for us, man. That's good for the industry. <laughs> so I'm fully, awesome. I, I'm give, I'm fully on board, man. You know what? Whatever brings more people to football, I'm in. So, uh, yeah. Oh, enough yeah. Of the, yeah, enough with the Super Bowl. Let's get into stuff that affects us for Dynasty. Uh, for actual news, we'll do news and rumors. you got to separate the two at this time of year, right? Like what's actually right. happening versus what might happen. Uh, one thing, Steelers partway with, partways with Mitch Trubisky. Is is he done or does he catch on somewhere, you think? I don't know. Maybe he'll be a backup somewhere. Um, he'll never start another game on purpose, but uh wouldn't surprise <laughs> me. I don't know. Is he a top 64? He's probably not a top half backup in the league. Is he a bottom half backup in the league? Probably. Like, he's probably one of the best 64 quarterbacks in the league. Yeah. You know what happens in this situation is that you have you have the guys that actually have like the fun raw upside, like the Trey Lances, right, that you hold on mm-hmm. to. And then at a certain point, you either basically become like a part-time assistant coach, right? Right. Uh, the coach on the field, like the you know Kevin O'Connell, O'Connell did it for a while. Davis Webb, right? Davis Webb was a guy. Yeah. That, Teams kept saying, why don't you come be a coach for us? And he was like, why would I be a coach when this team will give me a million bucks to be a backup, right? So Yeah, like Mitch Trubisky is probably at least good enough to be like Blaine Gabbert, you know? Exactly, yeah. Where Gabbert, you know, he's been around long enough. I mean, he's a two-time Super Bowl champion, right, Blaine Gabbert. So, uh, you know, I mean, he's been around. So we'll see if he goes that route, but you're right. Probably shouldn't start. Uh, We got, uh, let's see, Mike Zimmer, Cowboys defensive coordinator to replace Dan Quinn. I think that's cool, too. I like that. That's awesome. 
Yeah, Zim in the house. Uh, 49ers, uh, Clint Kubiak uh, is going to become the Saints' new offensive coordinator. So another part of the Shanahan tree being plucked uh, to bring things over. I mean, do you think he's going to bring, like, the full deal with, like, the fullback and everything? Uh, I think – probably and it probably fits the team right like i don't i don't know exactly how many picks the saints have i always assume they have less than their allotted amount just because they constantly trade away future picks and, yeah, yeah, and yeah. all that sort of nonsense are they ever going to pay the piper right the the, the same i feel right. like they're the the can kicking champions of the world and they get away with it dude like yeah so looking at their team right like alave strikes me as a pretty perfect fit to play that x receiver mold they have shaheed is kind of they've always used as a bit of a situational deep threat I don't know how many games you're getting out of Michael Thomas. I don't know how many guys are going to be able to add. So we'll see. I, I think one, if I had one takeaway from this, first of all, I think it's just like good news overall for the offense and for Carr, for Alave, for to get some confidence in there. Cause I thought Carmichael was really one of the worst play callers we had last year. Um, from a fantasy perspective, I would say maybe, maybe arrow down on Jawan Johnson. These uh, Shanahan type, uh, coaching three guys typically want a pretty versatile tight end that can block. And Juwan is more of that pure receiving guy. And that's the kind of guy you can be like 50% snaps, 80% routes. Not a lot of that type of archetype of player in this scheme. Uh, you know, we saw Mike Kosicki, for example, get totally phased out when McDaniel comes in. No, no guarantee whether that happens, but I would, I would keep a watchful eye uh, as we get into like the preseason usage on whether Jawan Johnson is still a big part of this team's plans with a different approach. I was watching exactly that. And I'll tell you, Dalton Schultz is about to get paid bank, right? Because if, uh, if Schultz doesn't get kept by the Texans, right? And the Texans obviously run the same scheme because it's the same coaching tree yeah. guys, right? If he doesn't get kept by the Texans, the Dolphins are sitting there with Durham Smythe running the same scheme. Mm -hmm. And now the Saints running the same scheme. I mean, Dalton Schultz and, and maybe Hunter Henry after that, there's not a lot of two-way tight ends out there, right? Like you're not going to go mm. and grab a uh, Mike Gusecki or Gerald Everett, I guess. Not he, Gerald. He's not really good enough. Everett's kind of also one of those like tweeter types. Yeah. It's just not good enough blocker, man. So it's very interesting. Yeah. Like those guys, I think are going to get paid. All right. So yeah. Uh, on to the rumors, which these aren't set in stone, but sometimes more fun uh, hearing word. Now Bengals might franchise tag T Higgins. Yeah. Uh, what do you think about that? I think T. Higgins well, and Mike, Michael Pittman, now the more I think about it, it's like you can't let those guys go, can you? Yeah, I mean, you're a cold yeah, fan. So. Well, the Pittman stuff has always been hilarious to me. Like I've seen so many people speculating on him leaving, and it makes no sense. They have $66 million in cap space. Um, they have a rookie quarterback under contract for the next three years. Like Michael Pittman's just not leaving. It's, it's, it, it's, it's nonsensical. I think that people are even suggesting it. Um, I think ultimately – like he'll probably be tagged and I suspect that before the deadline that they will actually work on a contract extension and they're just going to tag him in the meantime. Um, I would be legitimately surprised if we enter week one and he's actually playing it out on the tag and not under a three to four year contract extension. I would be absolutely stunned if he's not on the Colts. Like right. he's a stud. He's the, the, I mean, the Colts have so much cap space and they're such a young team. That like they can easily afford to pay Michael Pittman. They they would be the team. They would be the exact team that can afford to pay Michael Pittman long term. Right. Bengals different scenario where I don't know that they actually can afford to pay T Higgins long term. I always thought the franchise tag was going to happen. I think the question to me was: Are they going to tag and trade, or are they going to tag and play out the year? Um, and ultimately, it's a different situation for them, right? Like, it's, they can probably only keep them for this one year. They won't be able to afford the tag going into year two. I'm not sure if they can afford a long-term extension. So the question is, is one year, how much is one year of T. Higgins worth to them versus what they would get in a trade? And, you know, I don't know. I don't know what they're being offered. So I think that's the more interesting situation to look at uh, than the Pittman one. I think the only thing with Pittman is, like, does he play this year out on the tag or does he get an extension? I still wouldn't say there's a hundred percent chance he's on the Bengals, but I don't know, seventy-five percent chance. Yeah, I mean, looking around, you look around the landscape, right? And Pittman's going to get tagged, and and Higgins, if they're going to get tagged, it's Mike Evans as a big split end, and the next yeah. best big split end is what DJ Chark. I mean, like the there's not much going on. Demarcus, I mean, like who I, at this point? Well, probably Gabe Davis. You can't call him my boy. I guess he could. He is my boy, but Gabe Davis, I guess, yeah, he's a bigger guy. Uh, you know. Demarcus Robinson and Chase. I mean, it's like 
Donovan Peoples Jones. There's not really a lot of big guys out there. So with yeah. T. Higgins, you got to look at it. And the pick they're getting back obviously has to be much better than a third round pick because they would get a third round pick oh, yeah. as, as a compensatory pick. So we're talking first round here if they're going to. If if I'm the Bengals, I would trade. I would tag and trade if I could get a if I could get a one for him. But if all I'm looking at is twos, then like. To me, one year of T. Higgins plus a three is a, is better than a two, right? Like that's how I would view it. Exactly. And Obi Wan, you don't. It, we have seen it before. You don't see a lot of the sign and trades like in basketball, but it, it it does happen with teams that want to make free agent moves this year, right? So like if the yeah. Bengals, because the thing about the compensatory picks is that when you let a guy walk to collect that pick, you you can't do any offsetting trades like the Bears should have got a pick back for Allen Robinson, but they signed Byron Pringle, right? Like you can, yeah. so you, you can't sign anybody when you do that. You can do trades though. That's like the, the Patriots tr- traded for Devonte Parker to avoid signing somebody and canceling out those picks. So the, the, ba- yeah. the Bengals would immediately, basically if the Bengals let T Higgins walk, they, they now have to like trade or draft players if they want to collect that pick. So it puts them in a very, yeah. very strange spot, you know? So uh, I think they should tag him. That's that's my that's my take on that. Uh, one guy that could potentially be available, Brandon Ayuk. Now some rumors coming out. Uh, you know him, his girlfriend, his brother, uh, doing the Debo Samuel playbook of you know scrubbing the social media, trying to get a new contract. Yeah. Do you do you think he actually wants out, or do you think he's just trying to get paid? Um, I mean, I have no idea. I, I definitely think he's trying to get paid. Whether he whether he wants out or not, I'm not sure. It's tough because. Like it kind of depends on what your priorities are, right? Like if you want to win a Super Bowl, he's probably not going to go to a better spot than he's currently in. If you want to put up stats, you could probably go to any place and put up better stats than where he's currently in. True. Uh, so it, you know, it really depends. Like there's a give and take with these 49ers weapons where you're on a good team, they run the ball a lot, and there's like four all pro caliber pass catchers on the team. So I'm sure his stats would be superior in almost any other location. Uh, I think probably just because this is so frequently the case, if you're a contending team that they're going to keep him for next year, they don't have to do anything. They can just give him the fifth year. He's already on the fifth year option. They can just let him play it out. And if they want to, they can then tag him the year after and they can keep him or they can tag and trade him. But like, there's no, there's no downside for the 49ers. Like they can let him play out this year on the fifth year option. They still have team control over him with the franchise tag and they could move him on the tag if they want to recoup an asset at that point or they could try to sign him. So I think the most likely scenario is he's a 49er either on that fifth year option or on some sort of extension. Right. Uh, as an IU fan and as a, as a manager with him in a lot of leagues, I would love it if he somehow found his way elsewhere, but I, I just don't think it's very likely. Yeah, like so that's the thing. The uh, Debo and A.J. Brown have the same agent and AJ Brown did this first and he managed to get traded. Debo did the same thing and he, you know, got the contract that AJ Brown got. So I mean it is possible, but I think you're right. It's like this team is so close to winning. If they can just keep the band together, then they can, you know, they'll be right back in it. Uh and Jack in the chat uh said, What's the projected tag number? What I saw was 23 million uh for a wide receiver. It's the average of the top five contracts. So uh, that's what they're projecting for Pittman and Higgins. If you want to keep them for one year, twenty-three million. If you're gonna, if you're gonna give them multiple years, it's gonna be twenty million a year anyway, right? So it's like, you know, you got to decide if you want to give them multiple years or just keep them for the one. But it's, well, and it makes it makes the negotiations very difficult because if you are like, I mean, I just I think T Higgins, a long-term extension, is just kind of out of the question. I just don't think the Bengals no, can afford it. Um, but Pittman, they can. It's just a matter of what the number is going to be. But it's tough because if you're Michael Pittman, you go, well, I can make $23 million this year on the tag. And the next year, I'm either making the repeater tag, which would be probably like in the neighborhood of $28, $29 million, Or I'm getting an extension from you or I'm getting an extension from someone. And if I make it to free agency, I'm probably making like even way more than I'm worth, right? So if I'm Pittman right. and I'm looking at it and I'm just saying, as long as I don't get injured this next year or have like a really down year, I'm looking at $23 mil this year. And I'm probably looking at 25 plus after that for three, four years. So if the Colts go and offer him and they say, hey, we'll give you four years, 22 million. That's a pretty fair offer. And that is a pretty fair offer. But if I'm Pittman, I go, yeah, I'm going to do a lot better than that as long as I don't, you know, go and and injure myself. So I can see why Pittman would be saying like, you give me four years, 
25 million first two years fully guaranteed or else like, you know, you got to give me something to get something. So how, how the franchise tag works and how some of these free agent contracts have gone to wide receivers, it, it really does play to the player's strength where it's a totally different situation than what we're talking about, like in the running back market where, you know, the tag is probably all they're going to get on the open market anyway. And it's not like if they actually made it to free agency, there's going to be some crazy bidding war. Like I just saw in the chat, what do you think Josh Jacobs market looks like? And like, you know, I don't think Jacobs and Barkley are going to have any trouble landing jobs, but I don't think that they're going to be cashing in on some crazy payday like a Pittman or a Higgins would if they ever made it to free agency. Right. Because the age apex is different for running backs. And yeah. what happened to Barkley? They picked up Barkley's fifth year option and then they tagged him. And now all of a sudden he's 27 years old on his first coming up yeah. his first deal. Whereas Brandon Ayuk, if you do that, he's actually walking away in free agency at the age apex, right? Like for wide receivers, for sure. it's a lot higher. So you look at, uh, you know, some of these guys like Michael Pittman, the comments out of him, he's like, yeah, I don't care. He's like, I, he, they asked about the franchise tag. He's like, you know, I would yeah. consider, I'd consider it a sign of respect. And I would, and of course I would play for $23 million, but he wants a bigger deal, but he's sitting there saying exactly what you're saying. He's like, yeah, he's like, I'm going to make, he's, I'm going to make 20, three plus million dollars this year, no matter what is what he's saying. So he's going really to get, and if you're Pittman, I mean, Pittman Higgins, I, you could, any of these guys actually make it to free agency, they would. And I would argue it would even be efficiently. So get like ludicrously overpaid within the context yeah. of the wide receiver market. And, and it would, and it would honestly be fine because if you're a team looking at it, you're saying, how do you get special, like true number one type wide receivers or even elite number two wide receivers, like you basically have to draft them or trade for them. So anytime, you know, anytime you go and draft wide receivers, like there's going to be a massive risk of a bust with that. And you're spending a first round draft pick, second round draft pick, most of the time to do that. If you're spending a later draft pick, like you're just hoping to get really lucky. So, you know, and you see these guys come up for trade, it's always costing around one pick plus to get these truly elite top end guys. And so you look at it and say, okay, if I sign this guy to free agency, you know, is Michael Pittman better than AJ Brown? No, but I don't have to give up a first round and a third round pick to trade for Michael Pittman. I can just sign Michael Pittman. So would, would I rather spend an extra $5 million on Michael Pittman just to sign him outright than trade a first and a third for AJ Brown? You might, and that might be fair. So I think how like the, the market would go crazy if one of these guys crazy. actually got there. Like Mike Evans is one of the best free agent wide receivers we've seen in a long time. But of course, you're paying for the worst years of Mike Evans' career, right? Most likely. So if any of these guys get there, get the free agency at any point, and they're like 26, 27 years old, the market's going to go nuts. And it should go nuts because it's such a rare opportunity. 30 million, do you think? It's possible. I think if I think if they reach the market, someone would give them 30 million yeah. because they'd have to, because someone else would give them 28 million, and some other team is going to look at it and say, I would rather overpay. Michael Pittman by $5 million than trade a first round pick for somebody else's wide receiver. And I look at some of the teams out there that this exact player would, would be the final piece to an incredible offer. Mm -hmm. Like look at, and again, I don't know if they would have the money, but look at the lions. Imagine if the lions added T Higgins or Michael Pittman, and then you oh. have split end. You got your slot flanker, Amon Ra. You got the field stretcher and JMO. You got Laporta. You got a great line. I mean, it's just like the, the Bills, like any of these teams, like these players. That's why they never hit free agency, right? So, uh, I mean, we could talk for a full hour just on this concept. That's why, uh, you know, that's why I brought you on, man, because you're a deep thinker. Uh, let's let's pivot over. Last thing in the news, and then we'll move over to, to some of your process. I want to talk just real quick about the, the quarterbacks that have the trade rumors, which would be Justin Fields and Mac Jones, right? Yeah. Uh, you know, there's been some interest from the Steelers and Mike Tomlin. I don't know who would trade for Mac Jones, but the thing is, I was like, okay, well, you know, as a Patriots fan, I'm like, let's, let's figure out what this guy might fetch. And I'm going through and looking at some of the trades, and he would get – so they would they would get back something. I mean, not much, but like obviously it's not going to be like the thing is you look at Sam Darnold when he got traded, he was obviously a higher end prospect, but he got they got back a, a second, a fourth, and a sixth after three watching three years of this guy, and it was brutal, right? I think and, Darnold comp is probably more comparable to the Fields. Fields, yeah, right. Because you know, yeah, yeah. He's, he's he's shown a little more, but with like Mac Jones, I mean, like you look at what I think they could get would be. uh 
you know, like the Baker Mayfield, when he got traded from the Browns to the Panthers, it was like yeah. a fifth round pick that could turn into a fourth if he played 70% yeah. of the snaps, something like that, right? Something like that. But I mean, hey, you know what? I can at see that. Stage, getting, back, getting back a fifth even at this stage, I'll take it. Dude. Give me that and let's let's figure it out. Let's move on. You know? I was going to say a fourth or a fifth too, I think is, is reasonable. I don't think he's going to be anyone's plan as a starting quarterback. I think it could go one of two ways, like depending on maybe the trade compensation. I could see a team – Maybe, you know, maybe a team like the Steelers or whatever, if they don't have any better opportunity, better option than rolling with Pickett, maybe they look at it and they say, hey, we'll take two stabs and which one works and they'll give Mac like a chance to compete or whatever. I could also see a team just looking like, you know, the Rams always stick out as a team that kind of does this. They did it with Baker where they're like, you know, A, we're kind of looking for a succession plan off of Stafford and B, we want to get anybody into our environment looking better. And then, you know, we'll see what happens from there. I could see them taking a flyer on Mac Jones and looking at it as like, he'll be our backup quarterback. He'll learn our system. And maybe he's so impressive that we actually give him a shot post Stafford or maybe Stafford misses three games. Mac goes in there, probably plays a lot better in this McVay system. And then maybe someone gives us, you know, maybe we paid a fifth round pick for him. Maybe someone gives us a third round pick for him after uh, the way he looks in our system. Right, exactly. And again, the comp picks and free agency, I mean, you can you can get those guys back. Andy Dalton has mm. fetched like nine teams comp picks just by <laughs> right, like just by coming for one year as a backup and walking away. And then all of a sudden you look at the formula and it's like, wait a second, we just got a fourth because this guy was our backup. Not, yeah, it's not bad, you know. So uh yeah, I could see that. Man. The, another, you mentioned the whole kind of bring in competition just to figure things out. A, a team I think should do something like that is the Giants, man. With Daniel Jones, where yeah. it's like you're not in a spot to draft. Well, might be a week one starter. I mean, who knows if he's going to be healthy week one, right? Exactly. So bring in like a, a Minshew or a a Sam Darnold or or a Drew Locke and say, okay, let's see it. Like, is is Daniel Jones that much better than these guys? And if he is, then you learn something. If there's any competition at all, what you might have learned is that we neither of these guys is a quarterback, right? So I, I don't mind that move with the Steelers with the with with the uh you know with the the giants with any team that it, that doesn't know for sure like bring in yeah. a, a guy you know is kind of middle of the pack and say okay let's see it like show us that you're the guy that one of you guys is a guy you know and i like the mac idea because i mean i don't think he's a guy but at least he has a little bit of theoretical upside to him right whereas it's a little different than like what atlanta did for instance where they bring in taylor heineke and it's like that's really more just bringing in like a competent backup it's right. like, is what, like what really would have happened had Heineke got in there and been more impressive than he was and held off that job from Ritter like fully instead of him just going back and forth over the last half of the season. Like would have been like, okay, like maybe, maybe they have a better chance to win the NFC South. But like if Taylor, like there was no permutation of which they put in Taylor Heineke and the takeaway from the season was now we have our quarterback and it's Taylor Heineke. Like the only, the only thing that I could have done was like maybe stop the bleeding and maybe save Arthur Smith's job, but they would still have needed a new quarterback in the offseason regardless. Whereas at least with Mac Jones, I think there's like maybe like a 10% chance that maybe you get a new environment, you unlock something, you get closer to the rookie year, and you go, maybe we do have a quarterback here, at least as like a medium-term solution. Heineke went on, remember he went on Pardon My Take or whatever and was like, yeah, being a backup quarterback's dope. <laughs> yeah, it's like the best job. I was like, yeah, this dude is not going to compete for you know what I mean. Like he's already he's already there. He's like, this is a great job. Dude. Yeah. He's like way better than being the starting quarterback. So you know, it's like Heineke's yeah. already at that at, at that stage. He was he was the one that went to Ron Rivera. It was like, don't play me, play Howell. Yeah, right? he's already done that like twice now, dude. He's, yeah. he's cool. Like, and you know what? More power to him, dude. More power to yeah. him. If he could keep that going, you could be the next Charlie Batch, dude. Just be backup quarterback. Exactly. You know, walk away healthy. I mean, it's, it's, he's not wrong. There's, you know, but I, Mac Jones has already come out and said that he was gonna, he wants to compete and he wants the next opportunity. So he's not there yet. Maybe someday. You're the Pats guy. Are they drafting someone at three, or what are they doing? That's so. That's the word. Uh, I mean, you know, Gerard Mayo kind of already gave his hand away, right? When he said at three, we're gonna pick somebody at the most important position. You know, so yeah. unless he thinks, who do you want, Daniels or May? Who's your who's your ideal that falls to you? I, I've the thing is I'm such a old school kind of like okay J, Drake May was the better prospect all along right like he was the guy where the arguments there were more Caleb Williams versus Drake May arguments at the top than there were 
Yeah. You know, I, I don't, I never like going after the guy that the late riser, you know what I mean? I'm yeah. very, I don't like yeah. my, my dad wants to take like Joey Alt. You know what I mean? Like, uh, like he that sounds to- like a that sounds like a Patriots dad point of view. <laughs> yeah. My dad also has a my, my dad has a Lenore Rhine shirt that he wears. Wow. <laughs> he's like deep cut. He also has a UT Chattanooga shirt now too. Like he's just one of those guys. You know, but shout out shout out to my pops, dude, John Cooper. He's a he's a Homer true and true, and he's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Is your dad coaches the Tampa Bay Lightning? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, dude. Yeah, that's right, dude. Another John Cooper. He he's a J O H versus the J O N. But yeah, I uh, see. Shout out to. The I guys. also agree with. I agree with me too. Which is it's funny because I'm 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 kind of a Jaden Daniels Devi OG. Like I've had him on a ton of my Devi and C to C teams because I was always like this guy. Like I don't know if he's ever going to put it together, but he has the traits where if this guy ever became like a riser. He would immediately be such a valuable fantasy asset that I was just constantly taking shots on this guy while he sucked it up at Arizona State for years. So I had like seventy-five percent Daniel's exposure in Devi. I, I was pumped how this last season went, but now it's wild because I've always been such a pro Daniel's person. I was rooted for him, and now it's kind of crazy seeing him like potentially. At first, I thought it was kind of insane that he was getting mocked three overall, and not even unwarranted. Just like a total mindfuck as like someone who's used to him being like a pretty mediocre player at Arizona state for 60% of his career. And now seeing him mocked over may it's too much for me. I'm I'm may too. Um, but, uh, yeah, like I I want the the guys like two years younger was good immediately. Um, he can make every throw throws more proclivity to the middle of the field. So I, I would be rooting for Washington to take Daniels if I was New England and that I would get Drake May, but I think all three are exciting. Uh, I'll tell you what, dude. I mean, you and me were Ingram guys for a long time, and we stuck with That's it. That's true. That's uh, true. We stuck to the process. Uh, but, but would we have projected him to have the fourth most receptions of any player this year? No, I don't no. think we would have. So maybe Jaden Daniels can can exceed our expectations that way. I'll yeah, tell you this. True. I've fallen into, you know, uh, now – uh, after so much success, I've 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 fallen into being a hard, a hard times fan where I'm just like whoever you know what I mean like yeah. if it's Jane Daniels Jane Daniels and I'll be amped if it's I don't care who it is yeah. like I just want to see the next thing so uh, you know you brought up Devi let's get I want to ask about your process a little bit now you, uh, the first thing I've I've been asking people on the show is uh, at this stage it's so funny all year long it's like you watch college football you watch or sorry in the fall you watch college football you watch NFL football. Everybody's kind of in the same page there. We converge, right? And we're like, football, here we go. Once the offseason yeah. comes, there's a lot of different directions you can go, right? Like I'm writing a free agency series. People are at this the senior bowl, you know, Alabama. Uh, people, you know, you know, like Overzet and those goons are already doing best ball stuff. So like, <laughs> you know, <laughs> shout out Omega yeah. and the guys doing best ball already. Like we're I know you just took a break, but uh, what's your calendar like this time of year? I know you're going to get into the rookies and stuff, but what, get, take us to the next month or two of what it's like to be Jacob Sanderson in fantasy fantasy lands. Oh man, the fantasy market really has changed. Hey, like it's it's February 14th, and I feel like I've been like a massive slacker because I haven't already like finished my film reviews of all the prospects yet, and I don't already like it's it's crazy how how much the market has changed. Like I, you know, I recall from years ago like this time of year i wasn't paying any attention to like football outside of the super bowl and now it's like all of a sudden i'm already seeing guys have their rookie models completed i'm seeing people with best ball rankings out and it's like oh my god it's not even valentine's day so it's nuts um i would say for me first off i just have to prioritize like a solid like minimum one month break from fantasy football or my mind goes nuts. Like it's, it's important to like my content, to my enjoyment of playing, to my everything that I actually enjoy playing. And if I just play like in perpetuity without any sort of break in between, then it just, it just makes me enjoy doing content less. It makes me enjoy playing less. So I think that's key in terms of what I'm going to be focused on for the next few months though. It's mostly prospect season. Like um, I'm, I'm going to be doing, I'll be serving sort of the analytical profile for everyone across the board, try to get some sort of determination on where they are in a vacuum. And then, you know, my film process is more for the running backs. It just tends to be where I I dig in a little bit more. And I would say I defer mostly to the models of other people that I trust when it comes to wide receiver, um, especially. So 
my running back, it'll be melded. Um, everything that I do, like for NFL vet running backs and the people that followed me this summer is I kind of break up everybody into the pre-contact phase, what I call the contact avoidance phase. Um, so essentially avoiding being contacted. Then we get into sort of what I call the contact evasion phase, which is that middle portion of the run. Once we've already break it through the line of scrimmage, there's a defender that's around you. How are you evading that tackle? How are you breaking that tackle? How are you destroying angles to get around that tackle? And then into, you know, that post-contact phase where if you've made the guy miss, if you had a perfectly blocked run, if you found the lane, et cetera, et cetera, are you a guy that's taking it to the house or are you a guy that's getting caught from behind? Um, and so those sort of three phases, and, and I'm, I'm going to apply that similar to the type of metrics that I look at, breaking that up. And I do the same thing when I'm watching the film. So um, all right, how's this guy? Does this guy have strong bursts? Does this guy have good vision? Is this guy consistently breaking out chunk gains? Is this guy breaking a lot of tackles? Is he avoiding a lot of tackles? And does he have that home run speed? Plus, like, in the receiving game. And then really what I'm trying to do is, like, apply that to fantasy. So from the data that we get and the data that I've used prior Plus that film contact, how does this produce a fantasy player? You know, is this a player that's going to be trusted to be on the field on third downs? Is this going to be a player they're going to be designing screens and choice routes for or not? Is this going to be a player that they're going to want to use at the goal line or not? Is this going to be a player that can handle 300 carries in a season, 250 carries in a season, 100 carries in a season? You know, those are the key questions, I think, is it's, it's not, you know, a lot of it is how good is this player? Um, that's a big question for draft capital, but it's also... Is this going to be a high volume back? Is it going to be a three down back? Is it going to be a goal line back? Are they going to get touches schemes from them? Or are they just going to be kind of existing while the offense is staying around them? Um, you know, those are all, I think the key questions to determining uh, what we're looking for. Like I have, when I have my running back tiers that I, I update my rankings consistently, the, the tiers a little bit more in depth. So I only rank, I only update them kind of every few months throughout the off season, but I kind of break everybody into these archetypes of what do I, why do I project them to score in a base case, but also what's their contingent upside. And that's looking less at their situation um, and more at sort of their traits where there's certain running backs. Like I've used Samaj P run as an example in the past. I call it the P line where like what's great about Samaj P run is that he sucks, but he does everything confidently enough that like in the event of an injury, a team can just give him like 80% of the snaps and he can produce like viable fantasy production for a month long stretch, which is like the kind of crappy running back that you want to roster. Whereas like a Kenny Gainwell type is not really one of my guys because he has a role, but it's very difficult for a player like that to evolve their role out of that role. So like when a lead back leaves in free agency, they probably just replace him. When a guy gets injured, they probably pull someone else up to go alongside him. So a lot of it, when we're looking at these rookies to me is looking at every level is like, who do we think is a stud? But also when we get into that middle group, a lot of it's luck, you know, it's a position. A lot of it's just what depth chart do they end up on? Uh, a lot of it's who gets injured in front of them, what opportunity are they given, who are the guys that can maximize it. I'd use Rashad White as a great example of this, where he was a prospect that I really, really liked coming out, not because I thought he was supremely talented, but because I thought he did everything that was very fantasy-friendly. And we kind of see this last year where I don't, I, he didn't like impress me, frankly, at all last year, where I, I thought like, he put it on the receiving game. I thought he was pretty unimpressive as a runner, both in the uh, metrics and, and just watching him. But because he has the requisite size, because he has the requisite athleticism, because he has um, the pass catching ability, we kind of end up in a situation where early in the season, they were like, mm, they like tried a few other guys to supplement him. All of them sucked too. And they were like, well, you know, what are we going to do? We're not going to have the world's best running game. We got to use somebody. This guy can do everything. He can hold up right. to a workload. Like, let's just, let's just use him and we'll get by what we get by. And you end up with a running back who I don't think is a top 10 running back in real life, but was easily a top 10 running back in fantasy because he just has that capability. So, right. You got to separate like who's getting the opportunity and who, you know, yeah. who has, has the, the traits that we like to see. And I love that you mentioned the, the, uh, the different levels, right? Because nowadays in, in these modern schemes, like the ability to read and set up defenders at the first level is huge. And, and that's where a guy like Kyron Williams succeeds, but he doesn't really yeah. have the perfect version would be if you could have a Kyron Williams that had breakaway speed, like, like a chain or like, like 
Chris Johnson. That's Chris Johnson. You started him in in uh, CJ2K. You started him because at any given moment he could r- run for 70 yards, right? Mm-hmm. So it's like that's the ideal world, the guy that has the full package, which, you know, once you go through your prospect breakdown uh, coming up, maybe we'll find one of those guys. I see uh, Jack sends it in the chat asking, family draft starting soon. Yes, we are going to do the family draft soon. So get set up over at Fantasy Alarm. Use promo code. Uh, if you if you get set up at Fantasy Alarm as a member right now, then you can get into our Discord. And then go to Underdog. Use promo code Alarm. They'll give you up to 100 bucks when you deposit. Uh, you know, if you deposit 20, they'll give you 20. Deposit 100, they'll give you 100. So promo code Alarm. Get set up now. Look at that. Matt's got the QR code right there. Get set up. Nice. We're going to do those soon. Not only that, Jack, but I also am just waiting for the green light from the, from the marketing guys. We're going to get some badges set up in the Discord. I already kind of put them together. I know, Jack, you won two of the best balls. Only person besides yours truly to win two. So you're going to get a nice little badge over on the Discord. Everybody else, get set up with those because we're doing them for football, doing them for baseball. So quick little, uh, quick little announcement there. Let's get back to it. So. I love that you kind of hit on both the first two questions I had there. Kind of first one was what's your schedule like, which you laid out. And the mm-hmm. sec- second one was what's something that gives you a huge advantage, right? Which you just kind of laid that all out too. So uh, last question I had for you before we get into some debates was uh, what's your favorite piece of content that you do during this period leading up to the draft? I know you have the newsletter thinking about thinking and you kind of been crushing with that, but mm-hmm. what, what's your favorite uh, when you when you go through and you you boil all this stuff down and and you do all your your deep thinking, what's the, what's the favorite thing of yours that comes out of it? Well, my favorite part of this part of the offseason for sure is that it's an opportunity to do, I think, the most like broad and evergreen content. So like my favorite pieces that I write are usually the strategy columns. Um, I did a I think it was a four part series last year around this time um, that I called Market Principles of Dynasty. I'm not sure what I'm gonna call it or exactly what I'm going to focus on this year. I've I've tried to get some reader suggestions for that too. But like once we get into April, it's like all the rookies and same in May. And then all of a sudden you get like a slight little window. And then by the time we get into July and August, you know, now we're all into projections and redraft rankings. And then once we're in season, you know, a lot of it's just reacting to whatever's just happened, whatever we think is about to happen. So it's this window from like February and March, which I think is the best time to do some more, you know, non-player take kind of content. So uh, that's kind of the fun part for me. And I think it's a lot of the, you know, the, the strategy aspect of Dynasty. So we did a big series last year that I talked about where it was called Market Principles of Dynasty. There's a bunch of things that went into it. There's like four long pieces that if anybody wants to read, but like some of the fun stuff that we talked about was, okay, um, how should you be optimizing your team over certain time windows? You know, should you be trying to tank and then compete or should you be trying to always be like viable? Um, and what are those breaking points? You know, we talked about that a lot. We talked also about like, how do you construct your team? I sort of talked about these three different aspects of, of dynasty currency, which is basically current year production picks and future year production from existing players. And so should we be trying to build teams that are really heavy on picks, on veterans, on young players, what sort of the upside and downside of both, like that kind of stuff um, is fun to get into in the off season when there's a little bit more room to breathe. So that's probably what I look forward to most uh, in this early off season is just you get a little bit of breathing room to kind of expand into some of the more open-ended topics uh, of the game versus a lot of the minutia of the in-season where it's a lot more like, this guy had six yards per carry last week and this guy got injured and this guy has 25 fantasy points and do you buy or do you sell? It's, you know, it's, the market's a little bit more static right now. So we can kind of dive deeper. Right. And you can find the people that, cause there's two types of people that, that, um, or, I mean, there's, you know, there's many types of people that consume fantasy content, but if I had to break them down into two, there's the people that want to be told what to do and the people that want to become better fantasy gamers. And there's plenty of people out there that, you know, are like, oh, you know, I'm the fantasy pros ranking the fourth best guy and I'll just tell you who to start or pick or whatever. And that's their whole deal. And then there's people like you and JJ Zacharyson and the guys that when I look for content for me to consume, I want people that are helping me become better and and helping me, uh, you know, 
I, I'll read something of yours, and there, you won't even mention a single player at times. You know what I mean? Like it's you're you're helping me with concepts and using players as concepts. But in some of the stuff you write, you're not saying I like this guy. You're saying here's Samaji P. Ryan. He's an example of this type of guy, and it helps me become a better gamer. So, and I know a lot of our followers and you know and Facebook members take this very seriously. That's why I like bringing on people like you, where it's like you could when they walk away from it, they're not just saying, oh, Jacob Sanderson told me to start this guy. They're saying, Jacob Sanderson told me about an archetype of running back that I need to look for. And that's why I like this guy, right? That's the kind of type of content I like and why I appreciate you, brother. So what I'm going to do now is I'm going to do the complete opposite of that. And I'm going to make you pick guys. And I'm going to make you, uh, yeah. after having you go through and telling all that, I'm going to I'm going to give you a couple guys that are tough to rank and, and kind of make, make you rank them. The first thing I want to ask before we get to that is, what's your favorite format because we kind of all have a format that like lives in our head you know sure. like so when you're yeah, thinking I'm, I'm about football, dynasty person at heart like that's that's where all my rankings are catered towards is like okay. super flex ppr dynasty um i play a little bit of other stuff but that's that's definitely where my where my heart is and where my rankings are usually half, set up for. half ppr full ppr I, I i rank for full ppr and mostly play full ppr but um Certainly, uh, I'm I'm fine to discuss half as well. Right, and, and and the reality is that like my half PPR and full PPR rankings when I do them are not as far off as my standard right. to my half. It's like especially I, I when we're talking dynasty too. Like it it really shrinks the difference because you're looking over a longer viewpoint and you're looking at like who has the staying power. Right. Right. All right. Well, what I did, I've been doing this for all of our guests. Is I went in and I pulled names that are similarly. Uh, ranked, aged, mm -hmm. and kind of in similar spots. What I do for people that I that I know, like yourself, I I follow you on Twitter, so I have an idea of some guys you like or don't like. So I might be using this to coax you into maybe explaining yeah. some of your takes. For instance, I took a little peek at your dynasty rankings. Uh, you, you threw out like a quick, a very quickly done dynasty tiers for quarterback yesterday. Kind of oh, know. to be clear, not not a dynasty rankings. That was my IRL ranking. Okay, just in, re in real yeah. life. Okay, but. Okay. Yeah. Fair yeah. enough. Fair enough. But looking at your in real life. Closely. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's close. You know, they're correlated to some degree. And I can yeah. tell you two guys that the industry has a lot closer than where you had them would be these yeah. two players, Trevor Lawrence and Tua Tagovailoa. So for you, those guys similarly aged, similarly ranked in Dynasty. What? Uh, first off, I'll, I'll just spoil it for everybody. You got Trevor Lawrence. You know, pretty uh, where I would say pretty reasonably ranked, maybe slightly ahead of some people, but you're pretty lo pretty low on Tua. So, uh, you know, kind of kind of give me the rundown of what has you loving Trevor and maybe not super pumped on Tua. So I will say the gap is smaller in my dynasty rankings nice. than it was in that tweet. I, I think if I if I recall correctly, I think I had Trevor ranked like ninth and Tua like 18th, just in that tweet of my IRL ranks. Um, Dynasty, I think I have it 11th and 15th in my Dynasty quarterback rankings, um, but probably a little wider gap than it seems like overall. Um, so a lot of this is, you know, it's, it's an interesting discussion about quarterback play that I think we've kind of gotten into these last couple of years. It's one of the best podcasts I've listened to just because I thought that they articulated it so well as sort of how we've had the split. Of, and it was uh, Kevin Cole was on Davis Maddox's show, uh, The Taycast. And they decided to go through all the quarterbacks and uh, categorize them as either a quarterback of the ball knowers or a quarterback of the nerds. <laughs> um, and basically, you know, these are two guys that really, I think, epitomize this debate. Um, and I think the debate is, we've, as, this, as we've gotten more into analytics and use of better stats, simultaneously, I think we've also seen the NFL shift a lot more to more of these Shanahan McVay school offenses. And we've seen this correlation between the people that are in these well-designed offenses and uh, just lighting up the EPA charts. And we've also seen more of a focus from the community on EPA as opposed to worse ways to measure quarterback play, like passing yards and touchdown to interception ratio and some of these other more crude stats. Um, and then that, you know, as we sort of focused on that, I think for some people it's really upended the 
common knowledge about what quarterbacks are better. And there's this sort of split of our EPA lying to us about some of these quarterbacks, the quote unquote nerd quarterbacks and Tua is one of these guys. Purdy is one of these guys. Ryan Tannehill used to be one of these guys. You know, we've had the Jimmy debates. Um, these guys that are in these play action heavy offenses that are really smartly designed that probably have a, that have a less comprehensive drop back game, but that execute very well what they're asked to do versus some of these guys. And Lawrence is now becoming sort of a poster boy. Stafford for years has been a poster boy of this, of these guys who execute a, a very, um, a more comprehensive drop back game. They're asked to do a lot. They maybe don't have quite as much help. Um, and, don't necessarily show up quite as well in the numbers as they're commonly thought of and who's right. And I mean, forecasting what I think about this, of course, is, is based on this ranking where I'm more to the Trevor side. Um, I think ultimately it's different between real life and dynasty. When we're talking about two quarterbacks, especially two young quarterbacks, it becomes pretty much tied together. My case for Trevor Lawrence is every year, there's a few quarterbacks, especially who just get extraordinarily unlucky and we like all know that it's possible to get very unlucky, but then we still tie ourselves to those results. We saw Dak two years ago where like his turnover worthy play percentage was right on par with how it had been virtually every year of his career, but a few more interceptable passes actually got intercepted than usual. A few totally fine passes tip off of somebody's hands into a DB's hands. And all of a sudden this narrative started, Oh my God, you know, you can't trust Dak. He's super turnover prone. And then this past year, you know, he has a phenomenal year. Lawrence, there's a Ben, ben Baldwin who does a ton of quarterback EPA stuff, uh, took his hand at this adjusted EPA metric where they, he tried to factor out a lot of the quote-unquote luck. So tried to diminish some of the yak effects, tried to diminish drops, um, tried to weight down some of the uh, uh, turnover margin where it diverted from what you'd expect. And Trevor Lawrence actually came out as sixth in that adjusted EPA per play metric from last year, despite having you know not a lot of team success. Ultimately, a lot of this Trevor stuff, and there's stats like that that indicate it. He also fares far better in PFF grade. He fares far better if you you know take a look at a guy like a Steven Ruiz, who does the quarterback rankings for the Ringer, which is a film-based process. Always done a lot better with qualitative metrics. I personally trust it because I think that he has a lot of the traits that would succeed anywhere. He's a big guy. He's an athletic guy. He can make every throw across the middle of the field to the boundary long. I don't think he's a perfect quarterback, but I see that as a guy who can kind of do everything. And I think when things eventually start coalescing, feel more fortunate around him, could really take off. Tua, I think, is a little bit more maxed out where he's had this perfect environment. I think one of the best play callers in the league. He's one of the best wide receiver duos in the league. Throws really well with anticipation, especially over the middle hyper accurate and give him credit for all that can't really move um and he doesn't have the arm strength to make every throw so they have to tailor this pretty specific offense around what he can do very very well and we've seen that get exposed a little bit over the later parts of the season into the playoffs um this year and, and really the later parts of the season the last two years i would also say this from a fantasy perspective I would say Trevor's situation has been average to poor over the last two years. I would say Tua's has been excellent. And depending on what you use for scoring, I know with quarterback, every single league format is slightly different. But at least based on what I use, I have Trevor outscoring Tua this year by 0.7 points per game and then being 0.1 points per game lower the previous year. Depending on what you use, probably about the same. So I look at it and say, two guys, I think Trevor has more to offer in real life. I think they scored about the same. And I think Trevor has more room to grow from an environment. I, I think he's had a much higher class of dynasty asset, um, despite them scoring pretty similarly. And at least by some statistics, two are really outperforming him. Um, what do you think on this one? I, mean, I, would, I would go as far as to say that Trevor Lawrence in that Dolphins offense would be almost a waste of a player like that, because it's like the offense, the way it's designed is so friend. It, it really is so friendly to the quarterback, right? And, and when you watch the highlights on these guys, the things that Trevor Lawrence, like you say, is, is asked to do is, is night and day. And Trevor Lawrence might be the best quarterback in maybe definitely in the league right now, maybe that I've seen like doing things like rolling to his left and throwing while rolling to your left that you can only do if you have incredible mechanics and a gigantic arm. 
right? Like anybody, like when you sit back and throw around in, in the yard with your buddy, you're chucking it and you're like, oh yeah, I got a big arm. But try running to your left and then turning and throwing like this. It's not easy. And Trevor Lawrence makes that look incredibly easy. Whereas like Tua in the offense that's set up, he's never asked to do that. And you go and watch some of the highlights of like the touchdown passes he has. It's like he takes a snap, he turns around, he fakes an end around. And then when he turns, the receiver, he's just throwing to a spot. And then Tyreek yeah. going, right? Like it's almost he's throwing like no look passes at times, which you can't knock him. That's the problem is you you it's like you can't like, you can't knock him for having an incredible offense, an incredible play caller. But like some of these plays are so well designed that you're you're accumulating the stats no matter what. I I, I one one play that I always throw into that is the Chiefs shovel pass play, the unstoppable shovel pass touchdown pass. It's like is is Patrick Mahomes making an incredible play here, or is this an incredibly well designed play? Right, and and the offense. The the 49ers mm-hmm. are so it's so full of that stuff, right? It's just these uh, well, at least once or twice a game. I, I see a play that I've I've never seen before, right? And you got the same with the 49ers. You got Trent Williams as a left tackle and Toronto Armstead running, you know, lining up at fullback and running all over the place. It's like it's just a totally different environment. So I'm with you when you're going for talent. You got to go that way, but uh, you know, and I have Trevor Lawrence ranked ahead of two, and so does the entire chat apparently. So looks like we're all on the same page with that, and. At the end of the day, I think the the key point here is that both of them could score the exact same number of points this year, but the ceiling for, sure, for one can. of the players is higher. The ceiling is for one of the players is higher because if Trevor Lawrence gets into a situation where now he has the incredible offense and the incredible play calling, he could do more, right? He can do a lot more. He's just a more well-rounded player, and that's why he was drafted one overall and one of the best prospects all time so i mean that's the way it's going to go and i just wanted to say real quick since we're, we're getting towards the end here if anybody out here uh the format we're talking about is dynasty specifically where it does matter talent does matter more than situation over the long term if you want to take advantage of this kind of stuff take advantage of all the things jacob's talking about go over to my ffpc right now use promo code coop c-o-o-p they'll give you 25 bucks when you deposit 35 or more and there's two ways to, to do it you can do a startup or you can buy one of these orphan teams jacob do you ever do you ever grab one of the orphan teams and and jump in i did one last year and i got to say i've taken i've taken an orphan or two and it's it's pretty fun uh for sure like that it's it's the most fun part of fantasy like it's when you get to feel like you're a gm when you get to be a sam hinky you know you get to auction off all these assets and squeeze as much as you can and you know you get this big moldable piece of clay right and the best part is you know rebuilding is always fun but normally it comes with some aspect of shame right you're like well i i screwed this team up i got too old it wasn't valuable enough anymore i gotta admit to everybody in the chat like i suck at this i gotta rebuild like who wants my good players but when you take over an orphan you get a, a built-in excuse to do the most fun part of fantasy and nobody's judging you for being the one who screwed it up. You get to be the hero that comes in and saves the league and saves your team in the process. It's it's great. There's nothing yeah. better. And when you, when you have the startup that, that kind of fails and you got to blow it up there, there's those guys are still your babies. Like you still selected those yeah. players. When you take over the orphan, you got all these players that you don't like, you get to trade, you get to trade those guys. It's awesome. So yeah. Go to my FFPC, use promo code COOP. If you're a first-time depositor, they'll give you 25 bucks when you deposit 35 or more. I believe we have a pro uh, QR code right there on the screen on that side. So scan that up, get over there, get set up now. It is a lot of fun. And it is like for the deeper, it's like if, you, if you've been playing redraft for years and like you're the most serious player in your in your league with all your friends, maybe it is time to take it to another level because redraft is only going to be so serious. This is how you get to another level. Uh, so, babe, before, uh, before we get out of here, let me ask you one more. Uh, do you want to do running back, wide receiver, or tight end? Let's do, let's do the receiver ones. I think that, that one might offend people. That is, yeah, that, that is a very interesting one. And this is where, you know, this is where we've, we've got two guys in very different parts of their their career here. I, I went and picked out uh, the number one wide receiver on most boards last year in rookie drafts in Jackson Smith and Jigba, a pretty highly touted uh, prospect versus a highly touted prospect from a previous draft class that hasn't had an ideal situation in Drake London. So JSN versus Drake London, which kind of, which player do you gravitate towards of those two? Yeah. So to kind of go inside baseball here, um, Coop asked me for a player that I wanted to throw into this debate at each of the positions. And I picked two that I liked more than consensus two that I dislike more than consensus. So the, the name that I had volunteered here was JSN who I'm lower on, 
um, without knowing that the one he was going to then put, put up against it was Drake London. And it's, it's an interesting perspective because I think I've seen a lot of people defending JSN's rookie year by saying accurately, you know, how big of expectations could we have really had coming into the year? He was in the situation in a pretty average offense, but with two other really good receivers, how much could he have really produced? And my answer to that and why I think the Drake London uh, comparison is interesting is I think that it's, it's worth investigating, you know, okay, someone met expectations. Why? Someone failed to meet expectations. Why? And with JSN, if someone had told me before the season that he was going to have the end of year stats that he did, and it was going to be kind of underwhelming. And they said, well, what do you think happened? And I would have said, well, probably because, you know, old Boomer Pete wanted to keep running too tight end all year. And he only got 65% of the routes in. And he had like a pretty good yards per route run. It was probably like 1.75. Probably had like 22% targets per route run. He just never got the routes up. And so he didn't get to score points this year. And next year he'll get the routes jump and, you know, he's going to score points. And that would have been fine. And I wouldn't be on here talking about him if that was what happened. But that's not what happened. That was kind of what happened for like the first four or five weeks of the year. And then people, I think, have kind of pretended that that kept happening, but it didn't. He ran a ton of routes over the latter half of the year. As soon as Charles Cross came back and they got their own line settled a little bit, they went way more 11 personnel on passing downs. And JSN was consistently running over 80% of the routes. So what do you do on those routes? At a 19% targets per route run, which is not awful, not great, but what makes it more concerning was he did that on an extremely low ADOT. I, I don't know offhand if it was the lowest ADOT in the class of, among people with 50 plus targets. I think Rasheed Rice was probably lower. He was like down in the fours or something crazy. Um, say Flowers also had a low ADOT. But Flowers and Rice earned targets at a much higher rate on their routes and overall. JSN's ADOT was 6.1, which ranked 95th among all wide receivers this year. Um, and again, not even getting a target on one of every five routes, his yards per route run, which is kind of a mix of an efficiency and a volume stat, um, and, and tells us a little bit about deployment, 1.32. That's worse than like Michael Wilson this year. It's demonstrably worse than Josh Downs, who's at 1.6. That's much worse than like Demario Douglas, who's at 1.7. So that's even two other guys who were also slot wide receivers used in somewhat of a similar role than JSN. You know, I don't think that the Tyler Lockett and DK Metcalf stuff is nothing. Like, let's say JSN and Rashi Rice switched places, and they gave JSN that role in the Chiefs offense. I'm sure he would have been a lot more efficient, and you would have had a lot more targets where he got to, where they made those sort of underneath zone beating routes a bigger part of their offense by necessity because they didn't have a DK Metcalf to scheme to who could go and win down the field in Kansas City. So I'm not saying it's nothing, but I, I will say that like this is not a situation that has never happened before, right? There's not, we've seen, and, and it's also not like some hellish situation. Geno Smith was five. He was 12th in EPA last year, or PFF grade, 14th in EPA, CPOE composite, totally adequate quarterback. Lockett is okay. DK Metcalf is good. He's not elite. Um, JSN could have had better individual stats. For instance, bring up like CD Lamb, his rookie year. Similar CD idea. Lamb, he comes in yeah. with and Gallup. He's got his pass from Andy Dalton, who's a lot worse than Geno Smith. And his overall production, somewhat underwhelming, but that was mostly a routes issue. He was very efficient. He earned a lot more targets per route. He was way more efficient on his targets. I'm people not saying Jason People, people yeah, forget on CeeDee Lamb. People forget on CeeDee Lamb that as a rookie, he actually was, the what you described earlier, he was coming out of the game on three wide, on two wide receiver sets. It was Amari yeah. Cooper and Michael Gallup. He he's CD Lamb is one of the only wide receivers over the last like five years to play more than eighty percent of his snaps in the slot and still finish as the wide receiver twenty four. He was technically a wide receiver too, and that's the, what you want to see. And then then the blow up season comes next when he becomes the full time guy, right? Like JSN, even and again they played a, t a ton of three wide receiver sets, but you wanted to see him be hyper efficient with targets and. And then you get more snaps moving forward, like you saw with like Chris Godwin, right? So, you know, with yeah. with JSN, that's the thing. That's what you're pointing out is you're not you're not necessarily saying that 
that the opportunity is not going to grow for him. It's that we wanted to see more efficiency so that we could plant our flag on the idea that, hey, you know what? This guy was crazy efficient. I can't wait to see what it looks like when he's a full-time player. It's more like, okay, he needs to improve in both categories, right? Yeah, and even if you just look at qualitative stuff, like um, PFF receiving grade, for instance, like he's he's living down under 70, right? He's, he's staring up at guys – like a Dontavian Wicks, for instance. And, you know, that's not what you want to see. He's down here at 63.9. Here, here are some of the guys around him, right? Like we're talking about Trey Tucker. We're talking about Michael Gallup. We're talking about Marvin Mims. We're talking about uh, uh, Tutu Atwell. Like that, this, this was the kind of range. So the qualitative aspects aren't backing it. The quantitative aspects aren't backing it. A lot of it is just baked in the prospect profile, which I would be fine with. If he was valued at like wide receiver 35, wide receiver 32 in Dynasty, where he's down around guys without a lot of upside. You look at like keep trade cut right now, and I know it's not perfect, and whatever. You can, you can pick anything you want if, if you want to focus on EDP, whatever. He's still hanging out here, wide receiver 22, right? Mm-hmm. So he's ahead of DK Metcalf, right? He's ahead of Jaden Reed. He's ahead of Debo Samuel. He's ahead of guys like Devontae Adams and Stephon Diggs and Mike Evans. He's ahead of you want younger guys like way ahead of Josh Downs, uh, you know, so way ahead of like you could get, you could take guys like Downs or a Wicks or, or a Douglas and get a ton on top. So I'm just uncomfortable with how much of it is being inflated by prospect profile helium as a counterexample of another guy who didn't score that much as a rookie or year two is Drake London, where you look at what could he control, you know, and what he can control, or at least what you think he can control did quite well, right? Drake London in his rookie season up over 25% targets per route run had an elite PFF grade up over 80, which is is generally wide receivers that do that year one, almost never um, happen to fail. Year two comes back a little bit down in targets per route run. He's down to 22%, still quite strong, especially with the uh, adverse quarterback environment. Still 1.87 yards per route run, not as elite, quite strong, 78.9 PFF grade. He's surrounded by guys like Devonta Smith, Stephon Diggs, Mari Cooper, Devontae Adams, Deontay Johnson, Michael Pittman. Like everything that you see in his profile tells me very, very good player, except for the fantasy points per game. And you think, okay, let's move past Arthur Smith. Let's move past Desmond Ritter. Let's get something competent around this guy. I think this is a guy who's a pretty surefire bat. And it's just a matter of what the ceiling is. So uh, if I'm looking to take a shot on a high pedigree prospect, doesn't really produce all the indicators saying, you know, the goodwill hunting, it's not your fault. I see that with London, whereas with Smith and Jigba, those indicators aren't there qualitatively or quantitatively. And so I'm sort of just have to say, well, he's really good in college. He wasn't that good last year. And I hope he gets better. And that's fine. He can just get better, but I just don't think people should lie to themselves and say, well, we should throw the numbers out. He has excuses. I don't know if he does have excuses. I think you just have to bank on good old fashioned progression, which is possible, but not assured. On second, uh, you know, totally unrelated to that, but anyone, this this Jackson Smith and Jibba rated rookie card is now available. So uh, DM me now. But I mean, the, and the thing is, he's going to get better. He's going to have better fantasy seasons. So that's not what you're saying, right? But the, the concern is that the trajectory could end up not being the CeeDee Lamb trajectory. It could be like Tyler Boyd, where Tyler Boyd came out and he did get a chance at one point to be the guy opposite AJ Green, and he did have a couple thousand yard seasons. But when you draft a guy where you are drafting JSN now, or where you drafted him in your rookie draft, you don't want a guy that's going to have two one thousand yard seasons and then go back to being a slot guy and, and and kind of be a kind of Golden Tate Tyler Boyd type guy. You you were hoping that this guy would be the next Jamar Chase because there were at times people were saying that this guy the best wide receiver from the class. That's what you're hoping, right? So that is the concern right. of why you know in in if you're going to go to FFPC or whatever and do a startup it's not worth the price, right? If we were looking at this guy and, and all of a sudden he was a lot cheaper, then it would be a different story. So I'm with you on that, man. Uh, one, of the, you know one of the very first ever thinking about thinking before I actually had a Substack, I just used to do like a Twitter thread series called thinking about thinking. And I think it was the first thread I did where I talked about distribution curves of, of younger players and the idea of sort of like stretches and shifts. And specifically my point was a lot of times we use our preconceived notion of what a player is to say like, when things change, and this was about Amon Ross St. Brown, um, mostly at the time, this was coming off his rookie season, and the idea of like, okay, this guy hit way more than anyone could have possibly imagined, and so 
you know, his floor is now way higher, but his ceiling is still really limited, um, was a viewpoint. And, and my argument was like, well, you know, why would we necessarily think that? Um, and with, with JSN, what's interesting is I think people have now said like, okay, well, his median is a little lower and his floor is a little lower, but like still has a really high ceiling. And like, maybe he does, but I guess my pushback to that would be like, he doesn't actually play like a very high ceiling player. Like he's like a low eight dot slot guy. He didn't produce like a very high ceiling player. Like I, I would suggest that basically this side of Devonte Adams, if your excuses usually apply to players who end up good and fine, they don't usually apply to players who end up game breaking. So I, I would say if you're looking for a truly elite talent, like you're not saying. Oh man, like Tyler Lockett got in the way. You're saying, get out of the way, Tyler Lockett. I'm better than you. Right. And you, what you need to happen is you need a, a switch in usage and, and production like Jalen yeah. Waddle. Jalen Waddle was yeah. a guy who seven yard a dot as a rookie, right? Like Amon Ross St. Brown. And when the new regime came in, they changed his role. They made him an outside wide receiver. His a dot jumped to like 12. I think last year was 10. That's why on fewer targets from year one to two, you saw Jalen Waddle go from, you know, a thousand mm -hmm. yards to a 1300 yard player. Unless this guy changes what he is and what his profile is and, and what his role is. And fully, like you said, takes over that Tyler Lockett role and has a big route tree. He's not just a low A dot guy. Then you're just going to get a, uh, the, the same guy with just more volume pumped into it, which doesn't hit a ceiling. Right. And I was with you on Amon Ross mm -hmm. St. Brown. He's making us look stupid, but he hasn't really changed who he is. To, like to me, I, I swear I'm still waiting for the floor to fall out. And I, all my Ross St. Brown, I don't think it's ever going to happen. You know, like, because they're the you know there doesn't seem like they're going to go out and get uh, like a, a a a Drake London or a T. Oh, I don't I don't I don't think it really matters. I, I've I've I've, I've given up. He's just rocks. I've I've given up, man. He's awesome. He's awesome. But the thought process, the thing is, you're those things are going to happen every once in a while. And the thought process at the time was that this could be the next guy that goes that path. But you know what? We're already past an hour. I don't want to take too much more of your time. Tell everybody, you know, we've already talked about what you have coming up. Uh, tell everybody where they can find your stuff right now and, and the best way to get plugged in to, to your stuff as it's coming out. Yeah, so this would be a great time um, because the content machine is is just about to get rolling here once again. So uh, almost all my writing is on thinking about thinking. Um, I will have my sort of reflective looking back piece at the seasons, you know, the big hits, the big misses, the lessons and stuff that's going to come out this week. Um, I'm going to have sort of a fun, um, just IRL piece about uh, the bears quarterback situation and what they're going to do with Justin Fields for anyone who, who cares about that stuff. That's about half written. So that'll be out in the next week or two. Um, and then I'm going to be kind of figuring out exactly what I want to do in sort of those higher level dynasty strategy stuff this, uh, this year. So if anyone has things they want to see me tackle, feel free to suggest. And I'm going to be intermingling those with rookie breakdowns, basically all the way up through to the draft. So that'll be the plan uh, in terms of podcasting work. Um, me and Drew will be back probably within a few weeks for Sweat and Bullets. Uh, February 27th, we're back on Dynasty Points with Tom and we'll have Scott Barrett on that show. And then we'll be back to regularly scheduled programming. So um, that's, that's where you folks can find me. Awesome, man. Thank you so much for coming on. Chat, thank you guys so much for hanging out. Matt, Thank you for hanging out behind the glass, getting everything all set up for us. That's it from us. Stay tuned next uh, on Friday. I'm just going to do a solo show breaking down the AFC East this week, and then we'll have another guest next Wednesday. So, so thank you guys. Enjoy your Valentine's Day. <laughs>